welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of the Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 191st edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 646th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred for me on Monday when Jared emailed me about hosting this week's show. Make no debate about it. I was happy to accept. There is simply no rebuttal to hosting a show with Ken Vykoff and IU uh, Artifacts Chris Williams. Uh, two outstanding podcast candidates. I'm looking forward to moderating tonight's show, discussing our Indiana Hoosiers getting closer to competing and also some Indiana sports history being discussed. As polling shows, our facilities have changed over time, and some were popular and some maybe not so popular. Sir Bykoff will share with us some Hoosier beginnings in the world of athletics, and I'm glad that you elected to join us here on Assembly Call this evening, where the only platform we will discuss is where to place the tent in the backyard for the day-long tailgate for Indiana football on Saturday, and the only party of concern was the great wedding nuptials of Assembly Call chat mob, Hall of Fame member Moose Kirk and his lovely wife Ann last Saturday. Indiana Athletics are about to begin competition, so sit back and enjoy something positive in this crazy year of 2020. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-hosts for this week's show. Jared, Andy, and Ryan are all off this week. Instead, you get me, the only host you really care about anyway, and two fellow follically challenged IU sports observers, which is why this episode of the Assembly Call has been given the mediocre nickname of Revenge of the Balds by Jay Horry, Assembly Call uh, fame. First off, to my left, he is a man behind IU Artifacts, one of the best IU sports Twitter accounts out there. He has one of the largest collections of IU memorabilia and knows more about the history of IU sports than almost anyone. He is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you feeling with football ready to begin this Saturday and hoops just around the corner after that? Well, you stole my thunder with the follically challenged comment because I was building that up all evening because I do believe that this is the only time in assembly call lore that we've had three bald gentlemen, esteemed gentlemen, obviously, uh, uh, on the panel. So that's a proud moment for me. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, the whole, the game, uh, the marching band was practicing at a, at a Memorial stadium today. Obviously they don't get to be in the stadium on Saturday, but, um, driving by this evening and seeing the lights on it, it's, it's kind of gave me chills, but also it's kind of bittersweet that, you know, we're not going to be tailgating. We're not going to be in the stands. Uh, but we have football. We have something to look forward to. We have a team that, you know, is, I think, as good, if not better than the team last year in many regards. And, you know, um, you, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, turning some heads, hopefully, uh, you know, looking at all the variables kind of out of play with everything going on and so much uncertainty and, you know, the lack of home field advantage for a lot of these perennial powerhouses. Um I think Saturday could really be a, a, you know, a really good opportunity for Indiana to, to take out a, a really good Penn State team. Um, so um, I wouldn't be surprised with one bit if we come out victorious. 
And uh, to my right, he is one of the only people who can rival Chris in terms of knowledge about IU sports history, knowledge which he put to good use in his recent book, Hoosier Beginnings, The Birth of Indiana University Athletics. He also hosts the Peaks podcast, and for the first time in a long time, he is a moderately happy or at least non-despondent Chicago Bears fan. He is Ken Bikeoff. Ken, how are you feeling uh, with our long IU sports layoff soon to be over? Well, I, you know, I, I went into this year um... – and they 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 canceled the 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 fall sports, and I that was something that I expected to happen, especially as you started to to have kind of that ball start to roll a little bit, and, and they canceled the sports season. I'll tell you one person who's very disappointed in the restart of IU uh, uh, sports is my wife, because for you know I've been a sports writer now for this is my twenty three years, and this would have been the first year since I've known her. I've known her for twenty years to where I didn't have anything going in the fall, so she was all excited about a lot of different things but i'm excited for it to be back and i'm excited for iu football especially because of the fact that ever since they finished up in the gator bowl and that was a disappointment you look to this season as something to where we saw indiana turn a corner last year and uh so many times we've seen indiana football start to turn a little bit and then something pops up whether it be uh, you know, a, a coaching change or the death of a coach or um, a, the boycott that that really hurt the program uh, in the late 60s and, and into the early 70s. To have a global pandemic pop up and be an issue, it, it was was extraordinary. I'm excited to see. And like Chris said, you know, just the simple fact that uh, when Indiana plays, especially on the road against some of these uh, um historically better programs, the lack of a crowd is going to make a difference and it's going to even uh, the the playing field a little bit. And I even think this week against Penn State, because there hasn't been any lead up to this, anything goes in in, uh, the first week of the season. I think that's what makes this so interesting because Indiana is going to have an opportunity to win no matter when they play Penn State. But it being this situation, they don't have to travel. This is their first time out. To me, it, it, it's it's an even matchup going in uh, to this. It, it's going to be exciting. I, I'm just really excited to get this thing going. And kind of, you know, for me and Chris, we, we know this is going to be kind of a throwback season because the season used to not start until late September or early October to begin with, and they'd run off nine games and then they'd be done. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. That's uh... – Saturday's going to be fun. It's been a long time since we've seen any Hoosier team in action uh, because of uh, our health situation. But here's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, we have a few Hoosier headlines. Uh, we're going to talk about Ken's book in the second uh, segment, and we're going to take your questions in, in segment three. All of that coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But before we get to all of that, here's a quick announcement. Please continue to support our friends at Homefield. Uh, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use the uh, Assembly 20 uh, backslash assembly 20 to get a discount. Uh, I bought six items today. Uh, the North Carolina A and T, uh, t-shirt among them. Uh, that's going to be fun to wear around and, and share with people. Well, my mom actually bought some of those for my birthday. I'm still a mama's boy. Uh, but the others were just simply some must have items. So continue to go buy all the Indiana stuff from home field apparel. And then if you collect college gear, just like very comfortable clothing, uh, Buy some stuff from Homefield Apparel. They, they're really good. They have great customer service, and uh, we kind of know the guy who runs it. So, um, you know, buy buy their, buy their stuff. We appreciate it. 
Our Hoosier headlines, uh, Trey Kaufman is set to announce his choice on October 30th. That's Archie Miller's birthday, so I hope it's a really good birthday and not a bummer for for Coach Miller uh, next week. Uh, And as both of you guys mentioned, uh, IU Penn State football game 3.30 this Saturday. Uh, No fans and, and, and no tailgating. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, we've talked about IU Penn State. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think Indiana's poised to play everyone on their schedule competitively. Yeah, obviously, Ohio State is is the big one on, on the schedule. So I, I'm really interested to see what uh, the guys have. And I'm really proud that Coach Allen uh, is our coach. It's taken a while for me to come around to that. Um, but in the light of what's been happening in 2020, I, I think he's a great man to lead a, a football program. And the success of last year uh, will continue uh, each and every year going forward. But let's let's talk Trey Kaufman. Um, Ken, your thoughts about him announcing here uh, October 30th, uh, what that might mean for the Hoosiers and maybe who the main competition is if, if it's not a, a good deal for us Hoosier fans. Well, you know, a, a lot of what we're hearing is that it's coming down between Indiana and Purdue, and there's there's good things about uh, both of them. But, you know, Indiana's been involved with Trey for, for a long time, and he seems to fit a lot of what they are doing. And, uh, you know, they have an excellent opportunity uh, to, to get him. I know he has a good relationship with the coaching staff. There's um, just so many positives that go into this program and the direction of the program because of the fact that I think Archie is building it in the right way. I know uh, people are frustrated. They want, they want more wins. They want more activity going for, you know, right now. And I, I get that. But I also think that he's done a very, very good job of building the program that can be as sustainable as a winner. And Trey Kaufman is going to be able to uh, look at where this program is going to be, see where guys are going to, uh, who he's going to be playing with. You know, you want to play with quality point guards. Indiana has it. You want to play with guys who are athletic. And Indiana has that. And I've seen an opportunity. Uh, Archie Miller has been flexible a bit in how he's played to fit his personnel, even as he builds to play a different way in the future. And, and so uh, to me, I, I, I don't like to try to put thoughts into the head of a, of a 17, 18 year old kid because the whims of, of, of those folks are, uh, are their own. However, you know, Indiana has a good a chance as anybody to close on this deal. And uh, uh, you know, there's been good, uh, good news for Indiana basketball in the past uh, in, in late October uh, when it comes to recruiting, it, it's just going to be uh, uh, a nail biter till the end, but Indiana has a very good opportunity. Chris, your thoughts on, uh, the announcement about uh, the commitment uh, announcement being October as opposed to later in the in the fall or maybe later in the spring. Well, I think everything we've heard so far about Kaufman is he's been very methodical in his process on how he wasn't going to rush the decision. Um, he was going to analyze all the scenarios. You know, obviously he's been recruited by some very good teams, obviously with North Carolina and Virginia out of state kind of really pushing him hard. But I think it's you know, it's, it is interesting that it comes down to an Indiana-Purdue situation and um, obviously being close to home is something that, you know, when everything I've kind of heard about it is a big thing for him and his family. And the fact that he has a great rapport with the team already, so many of these guys that he knows, you know, from through the AAU circuit and, and, and through just the general aspect of being a, a close-knit uh, team and, and being around the team directly and indirectly, you know, and, and guys we have coming in like Logan Duncan and those kind of guys. I think to me, I would love to see it. Um, I, I, I think that 
like Ken said, we have as good chances as we're in the right scenario. And I think that there's been a lot of good signs for Indiana, but, you know, I think in the end we have to respect his decision. And I think that um, if he does decide to go to Purdue or does decide to go to Indiana, regardless, um, people need to support that decision and respect the fact that he is a high school kid and he's making a decision that's the best fit for him. And obviously selfishly, I'd love to see him in the candy stripes and I have a good gut feeling about it, but um, we'll just have to wait and see. It's just around the corner. Yeah, everything that I, I'm hearing is positive for Indiana. That doesn't mean he's going to select Indiana. And uh, I will second what uh, Chris said, and I'll speak for Ken, knowing Ken uh, like I do, that uh, once these young men decide to go someplace, um, if it's not Indiana, we still need to uh, uh, applaud them and, and wish them well and and not turn it uh, negative. We we implore all fans to, to, to root on the individual. Uh, and but I think Indiana's really looking good. I think the October thirtieth uh, date uh, does speak volumes. Uh, it does. It keeps the ACC schools at bay because uh, he cannot officially go and see them because of uh, obviously the the COVID pandemic situation. So that that leads one to believe maybe that he is going to stay closer to home. And it's Indiana State, Purdue, uh, and uh, IU. And I and I think it's down to IU and Purdue. And what I've heard uh, from from some of the sources that I, I probably need to keep confidential that. Uh, there's a lot of enjoyment. They like Coach Miller, and, and they like being close to home. So I think, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a little bit of an upset to me if he doesn't choose Indiana, but that can always happen in in, in the world of recruiting. Um, let's return to a little bit of what's happening in two days, fellas. Uh, Indiana sports are, are back on the competition field, and uh, IU football playing Penn State. And uh, – I think this is going to be a really good game. I think you get a tough opponent on the first game. That can work out into your advantage. Um, Sometimes uh, playing those guys without uh, any other games, preseason games, scrimmages, those types of things. So we might be getting Penn State at the right time. Uh, And who knows how all of this is going to play out in front of uh, you know, limited crowds of simply parents and, and other personnel. But I, I'm excited to, to see this team. I think it has the athletes uh, to compete, and, and I think it begins Saturday. Ken, uh, you know, uh, a couple more thoughts about the game and, and give us a prediction if you if you are so moved. Well, you know, I, I am very uh, one of the lucky ones that's going to get to be there. Now, the way they're doing it with the media this year is there's one person from each outlet gets to cover the game. And so obviously it would be Jeff Rabjohns or, or Mike Pegram or Matt Weaver, uh, you know, whoever it is that uh, that he wants to send. But thanks to my duties as the uh, postgame call-in show host, I get to to go there and and watch them live, and it's going to be uh, interesting. I'm excited for it for just the historical aspect of this being a game uh, uh, with no fans like this. But um, on the field, uh, it's interesting because this is going to be a situation where. It, both teams are at full health as much as they can be. It's not like they spent a couple of weeks getting beat up in non-conference games uh, and getting out there. Michael Penix to me is, is the X factor on the whole thing. I love the kid on the field. I love how he, uh, how he plays the game. His arm is a live wire. I, I just, he's, it's a different offense and was last year in the past two years, really when he was on the field uh, he's, we haven't seen him in spring. We haven't seen him in, in practice because we haven't been allowed to go. But, uh, you know, everything that you you read about it, everything that coaches say, look, a coach isn't going to come out and say, yeah, he is not looking good. I mean, that's just not something that, that happens. It just isn't, isn't the case. But, you know, to me, he brings so much. 
And then you have guys like Wap Villier and Ty Freifogel and, and Stevie Scott and, uh, and uh, you know, just, just that whole group that worked so well together last year with the defense that has so many guys back who played Penn State tough there last year in a game that kind of got overlooked a little bit, overshadowed, because you had a basketball game that same day and Coach Knight at the Bluebird the same day. And all that. so people, you know, talked about that. Wap Fillier got knocked out of that game early on, so he wasn't a, a big factor. This is a game that, again, Indiana has beaten Penn State once in, in uh, the two teams playing each other. But Indiana, with that experienced defense coming back, an offense that has a lot of weapons, and uh, starting from scratch without any kind of warm-up, and you're just, you're just hitting the field running here at the end of October – uh, it's. I think it, it has a chance to be a really, really competitive game, and I won't even throw in a, a, a prediction because, I mean, I, I would absolutely be throwing something against the wall. And, and to mm-hmm. me, we haven't seen these teams, but I do think it's going to be incredibly competitive. Chris, uh, so, some additional thoughts about uh, the game Saturday. Yeah, I, you know, Ken mentioned the talent on the field, both on both sides of the ball, is going to be tremendous. And I think it's hard to imagine coming off a, a season like last year with eight wins where we had so much returning talent. You know, you think about the late 80s, 87, 88 seasons when they had back-to-back really strong seasons and then 89 to go five and six. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to see a letdown this year, but I think can't hit the nail on the head with the fact that every team's in the same boat here. There's so much unpredictability about what's going to happen with injuries, health situations in general. It's really going to be a week by week situation. Two things that I think about here are going to be protecting Penix with the offensive line. It's something that Tom Allen has admitted that he's not hundred percent sold on yet uh, because of the personnel. You obviously have Simon Stepaniak and you have Hunter Littlejohn gone. You have Coy Cronk gone. But you do have Matt Bradford, you do have Caleb Jones that are going to anchor that line. They're going to have to keep Penix off his butt. I mean, that's going to be the key. You know, you don't want to see him having to scramble when there's blitzes, play after play after play. I do think that you – I wouldn't be surprised to see the defensive blitz come a lot early on just to test that offensive line. But I think if the offensive line can stay healthy and uh, they they can show the offensive ability under a different coordinator, like Nick Sheridan, that's going to be a big thing, is that if we're going to continue to see the same success of from Kalen DeBoer to Nick Sheridan, I think the offense could shine. I think Penix could be on his way to a tremendous season. And on defense, you know, you think about all the returning players. Uh, you, had, you have eight players coming back that all each had four tackles for loss in games last year. And you had T.Y. Mullen. You know, obviously, Reese Taylor is going to be healthy fully. You lose Marcelino Ball at the Husky position, but I think that you have enough depth on the defense to really be able to do some damage. But again, you know, we've talked about it. Every team is on a level playing field here. You got a few hundred fans in the stands with family and, and you know, extended coaching family and all that. You're not going to have the, 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 the situations that you would normally for a lot of these teams who pack their stadiums and use that as a tremendous advantage. It's going to be whoever has the most talent on the field at that given point, and that's going to be it. And let's let's talk about the mental aspect of this real quick too, because Indiana, I think, has turned a corner from hoping to win a game to expecting to win a game, and yep. that is a, a not very subtle thing. That's something that I think the the Hoosiers overcame a little bit last year, and uh, starting the season like this with an experienced team, I think that could make a difference. The Absolutely. the the concern I have is uh, 
with the new offensive coordinator too. And, and I've met Nick Sheridan. I think he's a fantastic coach, and I think he's going to be good for Indiana. But I know my first game as a head coach in, in high school was not well called. Uh, the second game was better. The third game was better. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure he's gone through a bunch of scenarios and film watching, and I know he's prepared because that's the type of guys we have on the staff. But he is new, uh, and that was a, an area of strength uh, last year, I thought, was our offensive coordinator. So I, I, I'm think thinking it's to. going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, and I hope the, the Hoosiers come out, but we, we won't make any predictions. And I think we have to point out the fact that Allen has a lot of confidence in two very young coordinators on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'm glad that he stayed in house. I'm glad that he, he stuck with Sheridan, someone who knew the system under Kalen DeBoer. But it's still it's going to be a roll of the dice because I, I, I you know, we can't afford to have numerous false starts penalties from an offensive line who's trying to get snap count down, all these kinds of things. We need to come out strong from the very beginning with the ball and and set a tone that we are going to be able to compete with a team that coming in is better on paper but as you can see what's happening you know the the, the line's dropping you know it's five and a half mm-hmm. today it could drop even more before Saturday so that's something we have to look at as well and speaking of Hoosier beginnings uh, Ken is going to discuss his book here in the second segment but before we do that we're announcing a book giveaway the first member of the chat mob uh, to answer Chris's trivia question correct will get a free copy of Ken's book, Who's Your Beginnings? And if you're listening on the podcast, the first one to email uh, us uh, with the right answer will also uh, get a free copy of Ken's book. So, Chris, take it away uh, for the trivia question. Okay, so here's our question. Which legendary Nebraska football coach would go on to serve as football coach, basketball coach, and eventually athletic department administrator at Indiana University. There you have it. Send us your answer in the chat mob. First one to get it correct, we'll get a book. Also on the podcast, emailing us. But coming up, we'll talk to Ken about that new book, Hoosier Beginnings, what stories every IU fan should know in the birth of Hoosier athletics and how Indiana even became the Hoosiers in the first place. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hey, this is Matt Spielfeld, Big Ten champ and better than advertised sixth man of the year in 2016. And speaking of better than advertised, join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the assembly call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash assembly call. I'm the coach, uh, Brian Tonsoni. I'm here with uh, Chris Williams, also known as IU Artifacts, and Ken Bykoff, the author of Hoosier Beginnings, The Birth of Indiana University Athletics. And Ken, um, let's talk a little bit about your book, or a lot about your book, um, Hoosier Beginnings, and uh, share with everyone uh, what the book is about and how you came about to, to start this project. Well, I'm fascinated by uh, by 
history. I first I love history. I say it all the time to anybody that'll listen. Nothing new ever happens. Everybody's like, well, this is this is unpre no, every even the pandemic that we're in, it happened before and it did happen a hundred years ago. And it was is you know, people had to wear masks and people argued against the masks. If I could write the book again, there would be a chapter about the 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 school dealing with the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. But um I'm fascinated by it. And I'm fascinated specifically by a period of history, really from about 1880 to about 1930, because it's a 50 year span where the world changed a ton. And it's a lot different than it is now, but not crazy different. You, you had most places, especially 1890s, 1900s, um, there was electricity. And there was, uh, you know, people going out to the theater and people going out uh, and, and driving in, in cars that are much different than what we have now, but they were they're gaining a popularity. And so it is um, something that I, I really enjoy that period. And I'm fascinated by it because people, uh, we imagine them as just being these black and white photos and that they, they lived much differently than, than we do now. And they did, but they didn't because they were people that were going through uh, the same kind of struggles that, that people do now. And so when I got the opportunity, uh, all of this kind of grew out of me uh, opening a book in a, in the Bloomington Barnes and Noble that isn't there anymore. It was a book of, uh, of IU and Bloomington through the years. And there was a picture of the Ferris family farm uh, from the 1950s. And it said that's the current site of the 17th uh, of Memorial Stadium. So to, to me, that, that was the, the, the kind of the catalyst for this guy. I never really had thought too much about what was there beforehand. And I worked for Inside Indiana at the time, and I called uh, um, the publisher, the late, great Ed Magoni, and said, uh, hey, why don't we do a story about all the old facilities at IU? It could be just one story and, and do it well. That went from one story to 13 stories, including 21,000 words on, on the current assembly hall alone. And um, from there, I just fell down this rabbit hole of finding out information uh, and, and stories and old newspapers and, and all of this. And uh, Chris, know, Chris will know this, that once you start researching this stuff, you can just, I mean, time just disappears as you fall down these, these, uh, these rabbit holes. And, you know, you find the small tidbits about athletics and not about athletics, because there's a trustee with the great name of Ira Batman. And he had other people that that was the last name Batman played a very big uh, role in IU um, the development of Indiana University, and so this thing just kind of snowballed from there. And I gave a, a talk at a Bloomington Rotary Club, and somebody there at the Rotary Club said, "Have you ever thought about putting all these stories in a book?" And I said. Well, I've thought about it, but I don't even know how to begin to do that. And the next day, somebody from IU Press called me and said, hey, we hear you have a book idea. And uh, that's how it all came about, because the guy that I spoke to um, had worked for IU Press and called somebody and said, hey, we need to do something with this. So I very, was very honored by that and was able to uh, to put the stories together. And my thing is, I think a lot of people may who don't like history don't like history because it wasn't presented to them well. To me, it's not uh, the date isn't isn't the important thing. It's part of the story, but to me, it's not about the date. It's about what happened because dates and times and all that that's trivia. I want the story behind it, and to me, that's what I try to present in the book is these fun stories that 
got us to where we are today. And people might understand a little bit better just about how IU athletics developed. And I wanted them to think about things like, yeah, they're the Hoosiers because they've always been the Hoosiers in everybody's lifetime now, but they weren't always the Hoosiers. It hasn't been a hundred years that they're the Hoosiers. And uh, why are they, are the colors cream and crimson? Why is it Indiana university instead of the university of Indiana uh, that, that uh, is in Pennsylvania, there's a university of Indiana, but this is Indiana university. There had to be a reason. And so those are the kind of things that I explore uh, in the book and try to do it in a way to where I always write as if it's just two guys sitting around a fire pit or at the end of the bar, talking to one another, you're there with your friends and say, Hey, do you know why this is that? That's how I always try to kind of present everything. You know, Kent, you mentioned the stories that you wrote for inside Indiana several years ago. That was, I remember subscribing to inside Indiana and then finding those on pigs and you know, the different recruiting sites that it kind of bounced back and forth. But that was one of the things that kind of, how we developed our friendship was through those stories. But I remember, and I have those saved. I remember going through those time and time again and finding little tidbits about, you know, Jordan field or the old men's gymnasium or something that I didn't know before. And, you know, when you were doing your research, you find these tidbits and you find these factoids that are going to be behind a great story. What was the most surprising story that you uncovered when you were doing the research for this book? Ah, that's a tough one. Uh, the the first one that pops to mind that it's uh, I don't know if it's surprising but I just found it uh, interesting because the way that I say you know nothing new ever happens uh, there was uh, I'll, I'll give you two one of them was a petition that I found in the archives uh, in which Indiana was in the original assembly hall uh, which is was just outside of the current Owen Hall which is you know one of the first. Uh, See, this is how you fall down a rabbit hole. See, this is right there. I started to, the original assembly hall. Uh, they wanted to build a new facility. Uh, and there was a petition for, for by the students saying that we need to build a new, a new facility because the physical uh, exercise on campuses is taking a step back, but we're also losing people to other campuses. And it's like, you know, this is, they're saying we need to build facilities for recruiting. And it's like, it was like 1914 or 1915. And it's the same arguments that are made for facilities now. So that's, that's one of those times when it's just like, you know, yeah, nothing new ever happens. And then the other one was, um, there was a great story about how they, they involved the student body at the time, uh, again, in 1915, to clear an apple orchard to create what is now, uh, it was the men's gymnasium, the new one that they built that is part of the hyper uh, now, and uh, how they used basically a 1915 version of viral marketing to draw interest for what they wanted done. And they did it by having this whole string of newspaper articles uh, just discussing how there were these threats on campus and they had seen people who were talking about destruction on campus. And it really caused a huge stir because World War One, what you know, it, it wasn't known as World War One at the time. It was just the Great War was bubbling and there was a lot of unrest uh, in the world. And now these people are seen in the shadows taking notes on campus. They're talking about destruction. They ended up having a huge meeting at Assembly Hall. Uh, and announcing that they needed people to come the next day with their axes to help them cut down apple orchard trees. And it just turned into this free for all the next day where 
you had people running across a field with uh, their axes and having a contest of who could cut down the most trees. And, you know, you have a bunch of guys and they're, they're uh, trash talking one another and all that. And again, that's, it wouldn't happen with axes, but you would absolutely have something like that. Now, if it's like, Hey, we're going to go out there, we're going to bail a bunch of hay to clear a clear room. You'd have the same exact thing happen. So the surprising thing to me are these little stories of basically 1915 viral marketing and, and the same arguments that we make now for building new facilities and it's nothing new ever happens. And so the surprising thing to me, and it, it happens over and over again is that fact that people are the same no matter when you you check in on them. What um what story that uh, you you share in the book that you think every fan should know about um about the birth of IU athletics? Hmm, that's a, to me again. There's two. Uh, one of them is where the Hoosier nickname came from. That one to me is the most practical one. There's one where uh, a whole chapter about the baseball riot of 1913, which is just an absolute nonsensical thing that happened uh, because a riot in Bloomington broke out because the baseball team won back-to-back conference games. And next thing you know, there are bonfires on, on the square and uh, the cops are telling the fire department to put the bonfires out. The fire department saying no, because last time we tried to do that, they cut off our hoses. A, a car got flipped. A, I mean, it, it's 1913. It was a Thursday night and uh, all hell broke loose in Bloomington because the baseball team won back-to-back games and it was a road game. That That's the other thing. It was a road game. So that, that was one of them that is the non-practical one. The practical one has to do with that Hoosier nickname and the fact that for the first 20, 30 years of, uh, of it, it is, um, uh, I use nickname was the crimson. They, they were known as the crimson and, uh, it was based off of obviously the crimson and cream. And in the book, I talk about why they're the crimson and cream and how that came about. But, uh, basically because they played uh, a game in Indianapolis on the current site of the Indianapolis zoo, uh, against Northwestern, which is a, a, a you know the college from Chicago, the team at the time had started to be nicknamed a little bit uh, by the media as the Scrap and Hoosiers, and uh, Scrap and Hoosiers stuck because it was being blasted to the Chicago uh, uh, Tribune, and uh, it was it was just because they played there when they did, they became the Hoosiers, and it stuck. Because it fit the Indiana Hoosiers, it sounded good, better than Indiana Crimson, because a lot of teams were called by the Crimson, including the Harvard Crimson, which were, was good at football back then. And um, so to me, it's, it's just the story of why Indiana's teams are known as the Hoosiers. And it's also a study in how teams used to get nicknames. It wasn't something they picked it. It was, they just kind of developed in a certain way. I talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers. They were the trolley Dodgers, but for a couple of years, they were the Robins because their manager was Wilbur Robinson. And uh, another one, uh, you know, they were the bridegrooms because like three or four players got married during the off season. And so they became the bridegrooms. It, it certainly, there wasn't the marketing arm behind it then, but Scrap and Hoosiers kind of came by. Again, nothing new ever happens. A preseason, basically tailgate tour of what they do now is what uh, yeah, they gave a bunch of speeches around the state about um, uh, uh, Navy Bill Ingram and his scrappy Hoosiers and scrapping Hoosiers. And all of a sudden it sticks. And, you know, here we are a hundred years later and we're still talking about the Hoosiers. 
You know, Ken, one of the chapters in the book that I was not surprised to see is the story about Jim Thorpe, because it's one that I love telling people about, primarily because the lore about Jim Thorpe has kind of faded over time historically, and a lot of people don't realize just how tremendous of an athlete he was in so many different sports. But the story of him coming to Bloomington instead of someone else who perhaps could have changed the whole landscape of IU football forever, potentially, is interesting. Can you talk a little bit about um, the circumstances of, of Jim Thorpe coming to Bloomington to assist Clarence, uh, Clarence Childs? Yeah, they were teammates on the 1912 Olympic team. So they had, they had a friendship that had built out of that. And um, basically, there was a gap between the end of the Major League Baseball season, which uh, Jim Thorpe was a Major League Baseball player and played football. He was a, he was a famous college football player, but he was also uh, a professional uh, football player. It wasn't NFL, uh, but it was a, a, a precursor to that. And uh, he was a draw. And um, the way I describe it is kind of if LeBron played basketball but he also was a, an Olympic sprinter and was uh, it was one of the best football players in the world. And then he comes to Indiana and spends a couple of months uh, coaching the team. In fact, he probably, I don't know this for, for sure. He isn't listed in anything, uh, but he likely was involved because it was the biggest thing on campus without question. He likely was involved in the whole apple orchard thing too. And, and, and being involved. So, cause the timing was right. Everything was right there. Um, he came and just helped out, uh, his friend with, with the team to make a little bit of money and help uh, build some publicity. Plus, uh, you know, he was going to be close to Ohio anyway, because that's where he was going to be playing his football. So, Hey, let's come here for a little bit and, uh, and, uh, help out, uh, with, uh, a friend of mine, make a little bit of money and, uh, kind of stay in shape for the football season too, because he would work. Uh, with the team and and uh, you know work on his kicking and then at halftime of games he would put on kicking exhibitions they played the University of Chicago in Chicago and put on uh, uh, a kicking exhibition so it was a way for him to stay local to where he was going to be playing kind of get into football shape before he had to go off and play football and hey let's help out a friend and that all came together to make it so that Indiana had who was was voted I believe um, the best athlete of the first half of the 20th century was a coach for the football team for, for about two and a half, three months. Ken, uh, this is where uh, I, I will not shamelessly plug your book, but I will, I'm just going to say it's, it was a very great read uh, as a history teacher. Uh, and Chris and I both teach history. I loved your introduction when you talked about how you tell stories and, and you mentioned it here on the podcast too, that history is about the stories. And, and I highlighted that one for, for the book, but I also highlighted that professionally that I'm going to maintain that and think about that as I'm uh, setting up my lesson plans after fall break uh, as a history teacher, that the stories are what really matters. And throughout your book, uh, chapter by chapter, this was another story, another story. And yet they also were intertwined um, from the growth uh, in the late 1800s to the growth in the early 1900s. And, and for those listeners, um, you know, I encourage you to go, go buy the book uh, and, and give it a read. But it made me think about campus as I knew it. Uh, and I haven't been on the main campus. I never get past the tailgate because, uh, you know, the partying gets going a little too much there on football Saturdays. But I'm going to make a, a trip down. And and you talked about the markers that are there for Jordan Field that's mentioned in the book. That 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 trying to vision where that 
was and going to uh, the computer and looking at maps, trying to figure things out. But but you did a wonderful job of telling a story. Um, and, and the young man, and I, I, I had it highlighted, and the name is escaping me, but the young athlete who, who lost his life because of a blister um, was was just a real tragic story that, that's in your book. Uh, but, uh, you know, just um, – a lot of good stuff in there, and, and, and we thank you. And then the question to both of you, uh, Kathy, uh, Amos sent this in that um, would you ever consider giving campus tours and, and showing some of these uh, spots and, and markers as, as some of us uh, people come back to campus? Well, I know that Chris has done that before. He's at least done it on like a Facebook Live or something like that mm-hmm. where he was walking around, and I thought that was brilliant. I thought, wow, that that's really great. It would be a lot of fun to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I what I got doing was – you know, utilizing the archives photos and literally doing a then and now shot of where the old assembly hall was or where, you know, what the hyper building looked like without the field house attached to it when it was built in 28, those kinds of things and talking about it. And, you know, I, I take my, my, my family and I go on campus all the time. And I tell, I was telling you guys earlier, and especially Brian, that I, my kids get so sick of me talking about, Oh, don't forget. And then it'd be like, yeah, dad, those are the original ticket windows at the, at the field house. You told us that before. So those are the kinds of things I like to do, but it would be cool because there's so many little hidden gems on the, on the campus that are not, you know, acknowledged in markers or the markers are not as visible or as plain in sight as you would see other, you know, sites on campus. Uh, it, you know, I, you know, talking about the fact that Woodlawn Field was was a trailer park after the war when you have this influx of GIs coming back and, you know, the the pillars in old Memorial Stadium still being there and the ticket windows and the fence and, you know, all that. It, it's just, I think there's a lot of people that would, would enjoy that and would enjoy just the conversations of having that stroll through campus through that, that lens. And then the Woodlawn Field was a golf course for a yep. certain amount of time. First uh, state prior- course in the, in the state. Yep. Yeah. And there was a plane crash on campus uh, as well. That was, uh, I mean, and, and by, by it, it was, I want to say, I don't know the exact year, but it wasn't that far after the Wright brothers. I mean, it was, it was within 15, 20 years that there was a, a plane crash on campus. And uh, that was right there in that Woodlawn field area. And then when you throw in that on Dunn Meadow, there used to be where they had uh, the women had tennis courts there and would, uh, would, uh, and it was hidden by bushes and they had to deal with some of the, the college guys trying to look through the bushes to see them do that. I mean, it's just, it, it's really is extraordinary. And when you walk around by and the first words of the book is I'm surrounded by ghosts. And I really feel that way when I walk around because I, I went to school at IU walked past that marker going to, uh, I went to the school of journalism and Ernie Pyle hall. I walked by that marker. I don't know how many times and never noticed it, never read it. And there are thousands of students that do that. And when you're young, you think that your, your history started the day you were born. And you don't think about everybody who has come uh, before you. And um, once you start to look for things and know what to look for, like you said, those spires or a ticket booth, or if you go into the field house and you look at uh, the sign where the gymnasium is and you could see the rust coming down from where the rain stained it when that was outside in 1925, those rust stains are still there. And, you know, when you think about those kind of things, um, you know, like coach said, uh, it brings history alive and it, it makes you think about 
people who are going through the same things, going through a breakup with somebody, going, uh, you know, struggling in a class, walking around campus. None of that is new. People have been doing that for, for, for decades and, you know, for all of human history. And so it, to me, that's what's exciting about bringing these stories to life and, and making people think about things like what it's like to be on campus or what campus look like or them having Jordan Field where the parking lot is outside of the Union and purposely flooding it so that people could ice skate there uh, in, in, in a couple. It, it's just it's to me that when you put the personal to the history, it really brings it alive. Well, you can job. tell that that. Ken and I could live at the archives. That's for sure. <laughs> a job well done, Ken, and uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about your book. And in our third segments, we'll be back to answer your questions. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use but parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is one of the most toxic of all poisons. Two, kids are more at risk for developing addiction. Three, a nicotine addiction can make it easier for kids to get addicted to other drugs. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you. Uh, I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Chris Williams, a.k.a. IU Artifacts, and Ken Bikoff from Peaks. Uh, remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU news roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis as well. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via our private IU basketball community discussion community at assemblycall.com backslash community and we had a couple questions for ken so we'll focus on that michael uh says love ken bike off I, I would like to know his starting five hoosiers of all time however he has to pick one player each of the following coaching eras coach knight coach davis coach sampson coach Crean, and coach miller so with those uh, standards or, or those restrictions ken who's your all-time favorite hoosiers well, you know what? I, I, my, my all-time favorite Hoosier is Steve Alford. I mean, that, that's the guy that uh, I just love the way that he played, even though he wasn't as uh, the, the most athletic guy around. Just, I mean, just shooting lights out. I, I loved Steve Alford. So Damon Bailey is, is right there, too. I loved Damon Bailey, but I loved Alan Henderson. I, God, there were so many guys that I, I really enjoyed watching play them. But Alford would be my guy from, from the Knight era. Uh, from the Davis era, it would probably be DJ White because he could just uh, kill you in so many ways. He'd rebound, block shots, score at, at will. And uh, uh, got to uh, meet him and talk to him a little bit. Was a, was a, a really uh, nice guy as well. You know, he was around my, my first year covering the team. 
and uh, and into Samson's second year. So I got a chance to, to know him uh, first year. But DJ White would be my favorite uh, Mike Davis player. For Calvin Sampson, it was Eric Gordon, just because it was so much fun to watch him play. And I wish we could have seen a full season of him fully healthy because he played the half of the season with a broken wrist. Uh, but I thought that he was um, he would be my guy. Uh, for Coach Crean, a lot of different guys. I love Jordan Halls, love uh, 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 Yogi Ferrell. But Cody Zeller, to me, is the guy that uh, he just was one of those guys that just killed you with effort. He was talented and big, but he killed you with effort. Loved him. And then for uh, Coach Miller, Trace Jackson Davis is is just a, a joy to watch. I just really enjoy watching that kid uh, work and watch him get better and watch him get better week by week uh, last year. And I'm excited to see what he's able to do this year. So that'd be all for DJ, Gordon, uh, Cody, and uh, TJD. Well done. Well done. And Lee also has a question for you, Ken. Since uh, fans will not be allowed in the stadium, will the media be allowed access to the press box at Memorial Stadium this Saturday and later games? And and kind of just a, a quick summary of how the press are going to be able to uh, access stuff at uh, the football games. Yeah, from what I understand, the guidelines that IU has put out, it's going to be basically 25% uh, capacity of the the press box. One person from each outlet is going to be allowed. There's going to be plexiglass uh, uh, dividers in between uh, the areas. People are going to be spread out a whole bunch. I know photographers are going to be out on the field and out in, like in the stands and and, and uh, just basically kept away from one another. But the media is going to be allowed in the press box. And then all of the press uh, interviews are going to be done via Zoom, the way that we've been doing them uh, all through practices and with Basketball Media Day was a virtual media day. And uh, so they're going to get an opportunity to talk to the players and talk to the coaches in the same way. Um, but it's all going to be done over Zoom just to try to keep everybody spaced out as far as as far as can be from a radio standpoint i know we have to bring our own equipment and uh and you know so don's microphone i usually would use joe smith's uh, headset uh is what i've historically done that's not going to work obviously so we're we have our own stuff the media is going to be allowed but it's a much limited capacity and i, I feel very fortunate to be in a position to where i'm actually going to be able to attend these basketball games that, that uh, it's just a new world here in, in yeah, 2020 with everything going on. And uh, uh, we're glad that you get to go and watch and, and the rest of us will have to hunker down uh, uh, and watch it on, on television. We're not even allowed to go tailgate, but we'll be doing that in the backyard. Uh, a couple questions. We're, we're just about out of time, but um, Jim uh, had a question about Trey Kaufman and um, Adam had another question about Trey Kaufman. I think that we addressed that uh, in the opening segment, but uh, I think it comes down to IU or Purdue. Uh, and I think that I'm getting a, a pretty solid vibe uh, for Trey Kaufman to go. There's also been some talk about, uh, you know, Galloway playing really well as a freshman. Joel asked, would you be surprised if there was a freshman? Yeah, I would, but it might be uh, Galloway. So that's it. We're done. No more questions. So that'll do it uh, for um, this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Take it from me, Christian Wofford. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. 
And that'll do it. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of what I'm going to go ahead and say is probably a single episode record for least amount of money spent annually on shampoo. <laughs> that's, so, that's absolutely right. I think it's I'm good. just freshly shaving too. So I, I, I think I, it was glistening for you guys. I, I got a little rough. I haven't shaved for a while. Um, so I, I got a little bit of roughness there, but I'll tell you, this is the best looking assembly call show I've seen in a long time. Well, you know, here's the thing too, is I, you know, my, I, my wife cuts my hair, but I don't shave it all the way because I did that about maybe in 2003, I shaved mm-hmm. it all. And I looked like uncle Fester and it just, <laughs> I couldn't make it work. And so now I've, I've, during pandemic, I've lost 70 pounds. Okay. So I'm a lot thinner than I used to be. So I, uh, I've been thinking about cutting it in shaving it all. Again, I might do that, uh, over the, uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, after the football game, just to see what it looks like, but, yeah. uh, you know, it'll grow back, you know, whatever's left. You know, I, when I first met Chris and I, I had to, you know, I had to join the group, my, my second period class last year, talked me into it. I love it. Uh, but I'm on break this. So I haven't shaved since Sunday night. Uh, it's got a little, but uh, yeah, we're, we're a bunch of good looking dudes, you know? <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Hey, let's, yeah. uh, if you have time for one quick question, um, yeah. that question that Joel had about, um, uh, Joel said, would you be surprised if a freshman other than Christian Lander was in the starting five? And then Jared added from reading snow's column, which I have not done, uh, and other whispers you hear, it sounds like Galloway is really impressing early. Still would be shocked if he's actually starting over Armand in a three-guard lineup. Um, your thoughts on on the freshman overall, and if anyone can crack the starting lineup, maybe even including Lander? Well, you know, I possibly, you know, it, it, to me, it it's just comes down to uh, uh, a combination of things. I mean, you know, it, could could a guy start a game? Yeah, absolutely. Could Coach Miller want to send a message and and put him out there and say, "Hey, this is it." Look, th- that Indiana basketball team was better last year, but it, there's nobody basically, you know, outside of you know uh, Trace Jackson Davis, really that uh, you say, "Hey, he's untouchable in a starting lineup. He he just isn't the guy." And so uh, I wouldn't at all be surprised if that kind of thing. I don't expect it. It probably won't start the season that way. But look, as time goes on, guys certainly are going to have the opportunity to work themselves into mm-hmm. uh the starting lineup and uh it's a team that has a ton of room for improvement and you hope that you, you're going to see a little bit more of that uh just as as time goes on but yeah absolutely i think you could have somebody who, who can move into that starting lineup chris your your any thoughts on the, the first yeah, I mean, the starting lineup he's you know, galloway is such a competitor and he came in with this this, you know, all the the scouting and the attitudes about him playing high school in AAU was that he was such a competitor on the floor. You know, I, I he's not the shooter that Armand is, but if he's going to out hustle somebody who's in the starting role, yeah, um, I'm all for it because I, I don't want I want the guys out on the floor who want to who want to compete. And I know I, I'm with Ken that you know outside of Trace Jackson Davis and maybe finally a 100% healthy Rob Finnessy. You know, but even fantasy situation, if Lander's coming in with as much, you know, on the floor talent as everybody's talking about and, and you know, and, and just turning heads even more than they expected him to as a guy who's coming in as a really young seven, you know, he's still 17, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I, I just think that one thing about this team is that they're so they're so deep. They are so deep. You know, we think about, you know, all these guys we've, we've been talking about now, but then you have Jerome Hunter and you have Race Thompson, you have Joey Brunk and you have you know, I, I just, I, I'm just excited. And then Geronimo, Geronimo, who reminds me of the kind of situation we had with, with Vic coming in as this freakish athlete 
who just needs to kind of hone in on some of these skills and could really be something, you know, maybe not this year, but next year could really be come in and be the playmaker that everybody's expecting him to be. But the athleticism itself could be just, and I've already heard that Geronimo is a much better shooter than Vic was coming out of high school. So that even that's, that's going to be a positive, but I'm just, you know, I'm ready for, I'm not expecting fans. You know, I know I'm kind of adding on to what the question was, but I'm not expecting to be in assembly hall, which kind of frustrates me as a season ticket holder for football and basketball. But, um, you know, just seeing our team and supporting our team is going to be good enough for me, no matter what the scenario is. Well, one last thing, and then I'll let you guys go so you can get the tail end of that debate if you wanted to, or, or watch the world series, which is what I'm doing. Um, Ken, you're down there, and, and and Chris, you're down there as well. Is what I tell me if I'm just seeing things through rose-colored glasses or crimson-colored glasses or what? But it seems like the, these eleven guys are more like what Archie Miller wants out of out of his guys. There, there's more competitiveness, uh, togetherness. Um, it, it seems like there's a little bit less selfishness on this group. Uh, every group has to go through some of those issues, but this team. You know, talk is cheap in, the, in every media day. Everyone loves each, each other. I know that. But I just get the vibe, or maybe it's wishful thinking, that this team is more together and it's more and it's a little more depth and they can replace each other and, and do some things that um, that's going to be worth a couple games at least um, for this team. Am I just being a, a wishful fan, or do you guys get those vibes as well? Go ahead, Ken. Well, you know, look, this is – Pretty much you had uh, a group of players last year that were, um, again, not, not, I don't want to use the term Archie guys, but it was uh, maybe the puzzle pieces weren't from the puzzle that he would have been building to begin with. And you're trying to blend guys in and, and do that when you are able to have your bit, make your puzzle and cut your puzzle the way that you want it and put in the pieces. It makes a difference because you can go ahead and you could recruit not only to the skill set, but to the fit with the other guys on the team. And to me, that was something, um, look, coach Green's been gone for a while now, but, um, he was very good early on with that, that holes and Derek Elston and Watford and all, all those pieces fit together really, really well. And then after that season, when they went to number one, I felt like the staff didn't do as good a job of piecing together that puzzle and building the roster. It was more about talent and taking a shot at somebody and, and, and trying to find somebody uh, and uh, find that diamond in the rough that didn't always work out. And so um, this is, has coach Miller has been able to kind of set his culture, recruit to that culture be able to bring guys in that understand what he's doing. And now there's also that foundation that you're here. And when you get here, it is, this is how it is. And if you don't like how this foundation is, you're, you're not, you're not going to fit in here. And so basically when you have guys who know what you expect as a coach, they're going to be able to give you feedback on when guys come in, if they fit that as well. So everybody learning what that culture is, is as important to making guys fit with who is there as just the talent, because the talent is part of it. You need talented guys, but you need the right talented guys. And to me, that is something that, that any coach that goes into a program needs to be able to have buy-in from 
uh, when they're starting, they're they're trying to get buy-in from the veterans. If you don't have that 100%, you're going to have some issues. And if you have guys that uh, are all on board with what you're doing, uh, it makes it a lot easier to decide if this guy's going to be a good fit for our team, uh, both from a talent standpoint and a personality standpoint. Yeah, I, just adding on what Ken said, um, talking to people that I I trust who are involved in this team day in and day out, the whole culture has, I would say, changed considerably from last year. And I'm not I'm not trying to throw Devonte and Duran and Justin Smith under the bus, but you know there was a certain level of apathy there among that group that you could just see on the floor. I remember numerous times where we were in a key moment of the game rallying back and there, the bench would be up and standing and Devonte and Duran would be sitting on the bench. And that body language just brought something to me um, that, that just kind of bothered me. And I know that we, you know, we lived and died a lot last year with Devonte and his shooting, but I can say seeing some of the players out and about in various capacities, they, there's a genuine core togetherness about this team that I think is going to really going to produce a lot of, a lot more success. At least I hope, because I know the culture is there. I think Archie has the the team that he wants. He has the culture that he wants. You know, he's had, you know, you know, he's had a few that may not have, you know, fit. Jake Forrester wasn't a fit. It didn't, that wasn't going to work out in the end, but I, I think, you know, you know, building in, you know, from, from Indiana out, I think he's bringing in the guys that are going to buy into what he wants to do. They're going to be the guys that are going to be playing for the the name on the Jersey and not for themselves. And they're going to bring in the, the, uh, <laughs> is that Brandon? That's no, that, was, Brent. that was Brent. Oh, Brent. Come on, Brent. No, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that from what I've heard that, there, there seems like there's just a lot of clouds that have been lifted around this, this program and the talents there, the buy-ins there, you know, the freshmen know what their responsibilities are. They you know, they fit well with this team. Lander obviously fits well with these team. And I feel Kaufman fits well with these guys. Well, which is why Philly's coming to IU and I'm, you know, it's going to be an exciting season. If fingers crossed, everything goes as well as it, as we hope it will with all the extra external factors that we can't control, you know, with COVID and stuff. So, well, it gives us something to look forward to guys. Thank you so much. Uh, and Ken, um, just a, a couple more accolades for Ken. Ken has always been nice to stop by the tailgate and, and give a little bit of insight. There goes my son again. Good thing. He had some shorts Come on, on Brent. Uh, so good thing that's an AC after dark uh, show. Um, but Ken's really been good to stop by and talk to uh, the people at our tailgate and share some some inside things. There, there's his book um, Get the that book, Chris folks. is holding. Buy, go buy the book. Um, you, you're a bourbon guy, right? Uh, yes, Wood, I am, Wood, yeah. Woodford Rose is am I is that or uh, Reserve? Well, well, Woodford Reserve, uh, Four Roses, uh, Four Roses uh, single barrel is is my. Uh, I really enjoy that. Uh, we could do another hour just about me talking about <laughs> bourbon if you want. But, and, and I've managed to not develop a drinking problem during uh, quarantine as well. So that's kind of nice, too. But uh, here, here's what quality guy that Ken is. Uh, he usually brings a, a bottle of champagne to the IU-Purdue game for our tailgate. Uh, and not knowing me from anybody else, just walking by a group of crazy people and stopping and talking. And, and that kind of kindness is is what Indiana University is about. And the people who cover Indiana University and, and Ken coming on our 
our show, but he's just not only is he is he a good author, he's just a good person. Uh, and uh, I'm going to take the time to thank him for that. Uh, you know, th- those acts of kindness uh, in this world today. Uh, Ken is an example of, of of what we need more of, and not just because it was an alcoholic beverage, although that helped. Um, but but just his that he he joined uh, helped me do a podcast for some of our our young writers here at Delphi High School. He joined and, and took some time to do that, and of course joining the show. So on behalf of myself, Jared. Uh, Ryan and Andy, thank you, Ken, for all that you do for Indiana University. Thank you for adding to our show this week. Um, you, you are truly a, a, a great Hoosier, and, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in person as soon as we possibly can. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and I don't feel like I do anything special. I just look, we're all on the same team, uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I have a smile for everybody if I can. Uh, and uh, so I, I, it's, <laughs> I appreciate that, but that's unnecessary. All righty, go Bears, uh, and I will see you guys um, down the road. But go Hoosier Saturday, and uh, soon there will be basketball to talk about. So thank you, everybody. Uh, we'll and, see you later. And please, after the, the football game, call 800-500-9422 for the college show. We always need questions, that's and especially right. if we're not going to have people driving home from the games, uh, please call because the radio show is still going to be going on, and that's at home and on the road. But please, we need that. There you go. All right, everyone, have a safe evening, and we will see you soon. Go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five.